and welcome to the Dason Digest's first episode for 2023. This is episode 53, and that means we are entering the third year of our podcast. Thank you to all of our regular listeners, as well as some of the newer listeners we've picked up over the past few months. The third year for our podcast brings some big changes. Most notably, since our initial launch, Travis Jones has been in charge of all things related to the podcast with great success. He saw it from the very beginning, as well as through transitions to different platforms. He designed our graphics, found our intro music, and he also expanded our reach to new podcast uh, publishing platforms that include reach beyond just our Dayson members. Travis did a great job, and this has really been his baby. I think many of you in the Dayson network are aware, but maybe not all of our listeners. Travis has left Dayson at the end of 2022 for a new and exciting opportunity wearing a slightly different color blue. He has joined the inpatient stewardship team over at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. We already miss Travis tremendously, but we can't wish him more luck. And we are super excited to see all the wonderful things he does with his new team. I don't want you to worry though, because even though we're changing producers of the podcast, it doesn't mean that we are not an experienced hand. Starting out with a new year, we have a new producer, and this is one of our infectious diseases fellows, Ray Perez. He's not new to the podcast, but he is slightly new to this role, but he has past experience with podcasts in his medical residency life. Do you want to say hi, Ray, and tell us a little about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, glad to be back on the show and be taking up this a new, a larger role with the podcast. I'm really excited. Giant shoes to fill. I won't even try to fill the space that Travis is in, but, you know, I think one thing I'm really hoping to do as I step into this space is really meet the needs of our audience. So hoping to hear from all of you guys and know how can we make this medium and format the most useful to you. I also help with some of the newsletters that you guys receive and other media that's going out to you. And so how can we make each of these products fill the right niche uh, and make sure we're all doing the best we can for our patients and being the best stewards possible. That's great. Thanks, Ray, and welcome. And for anyone who wants to send in comments or ideas, you can reach us at the Dason email address, which is simply Dason, D-A-S-O-N, at duke.edu. Now, to start the year off, we thought we'd share one of, I think, one of the most fun stewardship articles from last year, would you say, Ray? <laughs> um, so at the end of each year, the British Medical Journal publishes a few more lighthearted articles as part of their end games feature. That's a routine feature in the journal towards the end, but they really... Uh, get a little more fun, I think, towards the end of the year. There's sometimes crossword puzzles or, or other games to play. But in the 2022, the December 19th issue, they published a brief report written by two consultant medical microbiologists in the UK. The topic was misspelling of antimicrobial names by healthcare providers. It generated a lot of interest. I know that my phone blew up with texts when this came out so close to the holidays. Um, but it really is kind of an interesting picture into our ability to spell these antimicrobial names. So to give you the punchline, what they did is these two medical microbiologists looked at all the free text comments that they got in the microbiology laboratory related to drugs they want tested or drugs maybe patients have received for treatment. And so they were able to review in about 10,000 different orders the names of over 13,000 different antimicrobials that have been free text entered by clinicians in some context related to a microbiology order. Interestingly, the name of that antimicrobial was misspelled almost 1,400 times. It worked out to just about 10%. What do you think about that, right? 
I wish I could say I was more surprised. I mean, looking at some of these examples, I'm also guilty of making some of these mistakes and I have to chide myself as being a poor infectious disease consultant in that way. Um, but uh, I guess, you know, and being one of the younger generation who's always been spoiled by spell check uh, my entire life, uh, uh, spelling has always been a little bit of a problem for me. It's the reason I chose the field that gave me an excuse to have doctor's handwriting. <laughs> you know, you bring up a good point and actually, um, as of today, which is the first week of January, there is one reply to this article in the BMJ, and it's from a medical student who claims that all this misspelling is directly attributable to the fact that everything is in the electronic health record now. So that when you're actually ordering drugs, you only need to type in a few letters and you get that name fully populated and spelled for you. And I don't know if you agree with that or... It's certainly a bit part of it. It does make it so you, the number of times you really need to spell out the full drug is probably a lot fewer than maybe it used to be. Yeah, so we actually dug into the archives over here <laughs> at the Duke Center for Antimicrobial Stewardship and Infection Prevention and found some interesting data back predating any electronic medical record here at Duke. So flashback to 2001, everything was on paper orders. And for a presentation we were giving to Duke Medicine Grand Rounds, we reached out and walked into one of the house staff. Um, I, will, I will not divulge the identity of this person except to tell you it is an infectious diseases name you know. <laughs> and if you look closely at this ray, you'll figure out who it is. Um, but we just handed that person the old fashioned triplicate order form and said, listen, we're gonna be talking to the house staff about antibiotic orders and the importance of having the clinical indication. So can you just write us a paper order for a drug? didn't tell them what drug or what indication, and they wrote me an order for meropenem. And so um, to prove to Ray that it's always good to save your old presentations, I pulled out a PowerPoint that we used in 2001, a slide from it, and the drug that was selected was meropenem. And it was misspelled the same way that it was most commonly in this paper, top drug, meropenem. <laughs> so I think that um, it's safe to say that misspelling of antibiotics predated even electronic health records, right? Like. Um, but meropenem was the most commonly one misspelled in this. What do you think leads to it being misspelled so often? I think it's probably used just the right amount of infrequency for most providers who are ordering it. And then I probably the other thing is just people assume things are a lot more phonetic than they actually are, especially with these drug names. Yeah, pronunciations, right? So it, it probably does play a role how we pronounce things and maybe since our bosses probably won't listen to this, we can confess that that led to a big rabbit hole for us. We spent <laughs> probably a little too much time on Google today looking up how to correctly pronounce drugs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I first came here from a previous institution, I feel like a lot of people were uh, pronouncing a lot of drugs differently than I was used to pronouncing them. So I'm sure there's a lot of regional variation there. And I think that the biggest debate that I continue to have in my own mind is what I generally have, call, have called cefazolin, but I've heard a lot of people around here have called cefazolin, so. Yeah, so to divulge some of our research today, <laughs> uh, Ray and I spent some time looking up how do you actually pronounce drugs' names? And we found several sources on the internet, including several colleges of pharmacy, actually have taken the time to record little videos or sound bites of how to pronounce every drug um, approved by the US FDA. Quite a big project. Um, but in our end of one study, looking at what I also call cefazolin, <laughs> we actually found two different sources pronouncing it two different ways. So uh, the jury's still out on that one, but you're right, it's probably leading to a lot of the, the drug misspellings <laughs> out there. Um, 
The second most common group in this in this article that was cited for misspelling was the the combination of all cephalosporins. And I thought that was really interesting since they all start with CEF, but I was stunned, Ray. Did you see the number of agents that were included as a cephalosporin? Now, again, this is from the UK, so I don't know if the numbers match exactly, but I was shocked. Yeah, I mean, 80 antibiotics that start with CEF as a CEF or CEPH. So again, not making it easy for us when you're mixing up the phenomes there. That's fair, that is fair. Um, there were also 54 different antibiotics that ended with mycin spelled M-Y-C-I-N. And I know this is one that Ray has confessed to me that he often misspells, and it probably leads to the misspelling that ranked number seven on the list in the BMJ, which was? Gentamicin. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that's different than topramicin. <laughs> um, but I also shared with Ray that for some of us that are slightly older, when we used to use gentamicin more commonly than topramicin, we used to see the misspelling the other way. So people used to misspell tobramycin with all I's and, and omitting the Y in its name. So somewhat kind of interesting. And then we'll jump back up a little bit on the list to number three in the BMJ report, which is one of our most commonly, it's our frenemy in antimicrobial stewardship, <laughs> it's piperacillin tazobactam, which we call zosin, but in the UK they call tazosin, and that led to some funny misspellings there too. Um, Ray, which was your favorite funny misspelling of tazosin? Oh, probably just uh, the way they interpreted the pronunciation of tazosin with an S instead of a C. I'm just imagining taze all of your sins away. <laughs> yeah. you know, just More good, old, good old trip to the confessional for you with that <laughs> yeah. one. Cleanse your body of microbes and cleanse your soul. You get a two-for-one special with that drug. I really liked the misspelling that was taxicin. Um, so, so what uh, the comment from the author? So there's one thing that's certain: death and tax. And I feel like sometimes when you come in a hospital, the one thing that's certain is a name, your name on your wrist, and some tetracyclines right? Especially if you are applied with sepsis. So that was very interesting. Um, but that brings us, I think, to the best part of the article, which was they did this. The table one went through all of the novel misspellings, and so Ray and I thought just to kind of finish up our podcast this week and to start our year off on a lighthearted note, that we go through some of our more favorite uh, common misspellings that they identified. Ray, what was your next one after the Tazosin? Oh, I, I think just because it harkened back to my childhood, trimethoprime sounded like a transformer toy I used to play with as a kid. I'm just imagining the uh, trimethoprime doll that you could walk around with. I like that one a lot. Like it. So anyone who's known me in Dayson for a while has known that we, or especially me, is not a huge fan of tigacycline use. It has a lot of problems with its use. It causes a lot of side effects. And uh, the, the common misspelling that they identified was tiger cycling. And that harkens back to when the drug was first on the U.S. market. The, its little mascot was actually a tiger. They called it the tiger. Um, and we had residents here at Duke Hospital calling us up on the approval line asking for the tiger. Um, <laughs> and they actually did a drug rep source tiger ties for a while, with tiger print on them. So <laughs> tiger cycling is quite apropos, I think, to have for that. It's interesting. Interesting. Some of our other favorite drugs that we like to try to get people to avoid are on the list, like Sergopenem. That has some funny misspellings. I, I was a huge fan of Abobactam. I'm just waiting for the uh, Mamma Mia spin-off for that one. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I like it. Um, also, we talked a little bit, um, 
he laughs about some of the nitrofurantoin uh, misspellings, which include nitrofurination, uh, maybe a combination of nation, maybe adding urination into nitrofurantoin. I don't know what the attempt was there, but that was kind of interesting. Um, anything else jump out to you, Ray? I really like the CASPA function being defined as the friendly ghost, um, you know, and, and uh, if someone's needing the potent antifungals, there are some appropriate uh, comparisons that can be made there as well. <laughs> true, very true. Um, and then we'll go back to Piperacil and Tazobactam to close it out with one of the misspellings being Peptaz, <laughs> some sort of odd combination of its generic name, and they, the authors describe that as tazacin with a gastroprotective effect, so bringing in pepsid or promotidine. So Would be a hit in the ICU. Definitely. <laughs> and it would also prevent C. diff, maybe, if you did it correctly that way. Maybe they're onto something. Maybe Ray and I need to get in the lab and, and get to work on that. Well, we hope you've enjoyed a little lighthearted spin on an article that was published late last year. We are very excited for all that 2023 brings to our DASAM members. We're here to help you. If this article shows anything, is that there's always ongoing stewardship work for us to do. And so we'll be out there uh, to help all of our sites get ready for some regulatory changes that are coming in 2023 and beyond. Um, we hope to have lots of exciting announcements about things to come within our DASON network. And we're super excited to have uh, Ray along for the ride. Hopefully you'll see him um, either virtually on webinars, definitely look for him writing our newsletters, and also say hello to him at our next in-person symposium that we're already in the process of planning. So thank you to everyone for listening. Again, this is Libby Dodds-Ashley, Operations Director for DASON, and Ray Perez, ID Fellow. Uh, thank you so much, and have a great week. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Thank <laughs> you.